indeed. It, it, um, it is a time of year that calls forth from the depths of our soul. Memories, um, some bad, but most of them so pleasantly good. And I, and I pray, oh God, that this season will be no different. That what will take place in our families, that what will take place in the lives of our children, in the lives of our fathers and mothers, in the lives of the singles who comprise this, comprise this church, that what will take place is an ever-deepening and an increasing awareness that to know God is life eternal. And I pray, Father, that this season might be one in which we take full advantage of broadcasting a message that has become so dear to us, one that indeed announces peace, peace that has been established between a God whose eyes are too holy to even look upon iniquity and sinners who have violated his law. Peace established by Jesus Christ, this, this child whose birth we celebrate. And Father, we, uh, we long that those who live around us will not be drawn to our outside decorations, that they might not be drawn to the, uh, the way that we throw a Christmas party, but they might be drawn to the difference that they see, a difference that has been made in us by Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for a time of year where we're reminded of those things eternal that are so tremendously important to many of us. Father, I do pray that you will continue to lead uh, the 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 leadership of this church as they make decisions for our ultimate well-being. Give them the mind of Christ. And now, Father, we thank you for a, a portion of a worship service which allows us to express things, express that we trust that we're safe in your financial safekeeping, and that we can also express that we're oh so grateful to have forgiven sin. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Most of you who are, are here this morning realize, I think, that we, um, we, we just last week completed a nine-week-long discussion of the parable of the prodigal son. What you may not recall is what it is that led us to that series in the first place. So I'd like to tell you that story again. Due to a, a somewhat cataclysmic event in my world, I, find, I found myself uh, embroiled in a battle. A, a battle that was taking place within a battle to forgive a, a, an egregious offense. The two forces in that battle were my flesh and this book, uh, a book which uh, outlines very clearly what God expected of me, which you all know he expects us to forgive. So I was being asked to forgive, and I knew that, but my flesh wasn't particularly um, happy about it. 
so knowing how wrong i was i set out to become a physician of my own soul you know you're never supposed to doctor your own self if you're a doctor but anyway i, I decided that if i was ever going to come to the place where where god would be honored by my responses that one of the things that i would do that was kind of an idea of mine is that i was going to become a an expert on the parable of the prodigal son thinking that if i were to master the message of the parable of the prodigal son then i could uh, in turn go on to accomplish this thing that i knew god asked of me that of course being forgiveness now i, I will let you decide how expertly um, i treated the parable but I hope you'll remember the conclusion that I, that I came to and, and tried to communicate to you, and that was this. That the parable of the prodigal son was not a parable about forgiveness. It was a parable about grace. And so the, the, the primary reason, the real object of my studying the parable of the prodigal son suddenly became a secondary issue as I, as I reveled in this portrait uh, of a God of all grace in the parable of the prodigal son. So as I went into the study of the parable, I went in for one reason and discovered that I was, my plan was ill-conceived. And I discovered that the parable wasn't about what I thought it was about. It was about grace. Now, having completed that, that nine-week-long treatment of the parable, now I'm back to the original subject that started this in the first place, that being, of course, forgiveness. And yet, knowing what I now know about the parable, I didn't want to use the parable of the prodigal son as, um, as my text. So this past Friday morning, I came into the office, and Carla um, got a hold of me and said, I need to know your text and um, for Sunday morning, because she wanted to put it in the bulletin. And so I was faced with uh, <laughs> giving her a text now for a, a, a whole new thrust of the series that started with the prodigal son and started with my own failure to forgive. And I, and I found myself with numerous options. Um, there are all kinds of texts that I could have given her, and I, and I hope you'll see how many there are by the time we're finished here, not this morning, but uh, in coming weeks. And I hope you will see what, what is plainly there, how, many, how much the Bible has to say about forgiveness. I could almost call this book a book on forgiveness, but that would be a bit, just a bit, but it would be a bit of an overstatement. But all of that to say, I've landed on Psalm 130. So if you've got your Bible in your lap, you can, for the first time in three or four months, turn away from Luke 15 and uh, feast your eyes on another glorious passage of Scripture. I want to read to you Psalm 130 in its entirety. Here we go. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. 
Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. The fun part, the, the, the exhilarating part of this kind of a two-part series, uh, that's behind us. That's over. Now, lying before us is some hard work, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, essential work, but hard work nonetheless. The, the series that began in September now brings us face-to-face -face with this issue of forgiveness. And I, and I must tell you, uh, I, I can't, there, there can't be many issues that are more important than that. Uh, I wonder how many of you are seated here this morning holding on to some kind of offense, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be in uh, your workplace or whatever, um, I, which leads me to conclude that there, there can be very little, very few subjects that are more important than, than forgiveness. There is no more practical an issue than the one that is before us now. Now, if I could, I'd like to take just a minute to, um, to, to make a point that, that uh, I, I seem to often face uh, in, in, a, in a calendar year. This has got to come up three or four times every year. I, I'm in discussions frequently where people are telling me that, that doctrine is, um, is not something they're really interested in. Because, you know, doctrine is stuff that just confuses people and, and there's not a, whole lot of, um, uh, not, not a whole lot of benefit. What I want when I come to church, I want somebody to tell me something that uh, I can use in my everyday life. <laughs> if I hear that phrase, everyday life, once, I hear it 20 times a year. And, and what they mean by that is, I think, is that they would like, when they come to church, to hear some kind of sermonic ditty that will um, quiet all of their personal anxieties and, and help them overcome their personal guilt that they may be carrying around, and then help them gain the kind of confidence that they're going to need to succeed in this rough-and-tumble, dog-eat-dog, corporate, competitive world. And then above all, if you could just help me figure out how to get along at home you know, with my spouse, my kids, those neighbors. That, that's what they're looking for. And ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the subject that is before us for these next few weeks, to me, illustrates the point that I, that I hope that you will see, and that's this. There is nothing, 
more inherently practical than doctrine. You know, um, you do know, I mean, you're intelligent people, you know that the way that you think, what, what you believe forms your whole value system. Now, here's the step that I, I, I hope you realize, that your behavior is nothing more than the fleshing out of your belief system, your value system, so that the things that you believe are the things that you're going to act on. Um, abstract beliefs never remain abstract very long. Sooner or later, they, they are going to show up in your behavior. And so what we're going to do in the next few weeks, now we will skip next week because it's uh, Christmas Sunday, but what we're going to do in the next few weeks is we're going to study things like the ground and the basis for forgiveness. We're going to look at things like the motive for forgiveness and the mandate, injunction for forgiveness. What I'm going to try to hopefully provide for you is the doctrinal base on which we must build our efforts at forgiveness. And I say to you, my friend, nothing could be more practical than that. Um, I wonder how many marriages are in this room right now who can be vastly improved if one of the parties could get over the offense? You see, gang, um, I think it was John Gerstner who said that all of life illustrates Bible truth. And here's an example of that. Everything that you face, my friend, is something. And you know, um, one of my joys in the ministry is, um, is to watch new Christians realize finally that I didn't know the Bible talked about that. I didn't know that was in there. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know, nobody can do you a bigger favor than by providing for you, out of the Scriptures, a foundation on which you can build your behavior. Nothing. Nothing is more practical than the doctrine contained in this book. And anything that keeps you away from this thing is your enemy. Now, th that just illustrates my point, I hope, that we can... Um, we, <laughs> when we talk about the, the great beauty of doctrine, it's not so that we can be intellectually superior or sectarian or theologically elite. It's because, my friends... All of life hinges on it. Now, as we proceed through these weeks, I hope that you will find in our discussions the difference that could possibly be made if we heed the injunctions that are contained in this book. A difference in your marriage. A difference in the, the overall family. A difference in the neighborhood the difference at your workplace. So, my dear friends, put on your work clothes. We've got a lot of work to do. 
We won't get very dirty uh, today. We won't get very far uh, today. We have the Lord's Supper. We won't get very far today. And then next week we'll, we'll skip because of Christmas. But we got work in front of us. But nothing could be more urgent than understanding the subject of forgiveness. Um, now, gang, if you stop and think about it, I know you didn't before you came in here. I understand that. I get paid to, and, and, but, but I'm, I'm trying to get you to right now. Um, if you stop and think about it, when it comes to this subject of forgiveness, there are two primary spheres um, that should concern us. Two major spheres of forgiveness that has got to, uh, that we've got to figure out and unravel. I, I guess the one that perhaps is, um, is closest to what we would call a felt need is how you and I could forgive <coughs> someone who has offended us. You know, a spouse or a neighbor or somebody at work. Um, and that we're going to call, that's, that, I, that I'm calling horizontal forgiveness. Pretty simple, but the kind of forgiveness that is required in relationships horizontally. But gang, we have got to set that aside. We've got to look at that later. We've we got to set that aside for a while while we move on to address the real need that all of us have. And that is, how can a perfectly holy God, how can he forgive sinners? Which is a vertical forgiveness. And if he does forgive sinners, then, then how can I get it? So I'm drawing a distinction between these two spheres. We're calling one horizontal and one vertical. Pretty simple. But, gang, you must understand that God is the consummate forgiver. Um, John Stott, which is a name that some of you know, he's an Anglican and, and quite reliable. Uh, John Stott wrote a book, one of his books, he's got several in print, but one of them is, is entitled Confess Your Sins. And in that book, he quotes a, uh, a British uh, doctor who is the head of a very large British mental institution. And this head of a British middle mental institution says this, I could dismiss half of my patients if they could be assured of forgiveness. He could, uh, he could half empty his hospital if somehow he could communicate to his clients, his patients, forgiveness. Now, what kind of forgiveness do you think that doctor has in mind? I don't know. I, I, I do not know from whom these mental patients long to have forgiveness. But I have a hunch. And that's basically what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Here's my hunch. My, my hunch is that though our felt need is to know that my wife forgives me or, or that I can forgive her, Whereas that might be my felt need, my real need is not to forgive her or to be forgiven of her. My real need, at the base of my soul, down in that place where only you and God go, I've got to know that I'm forgiven by God. What I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, is this. The real problem, realized or unrealized, it is a vertical problem, not a horizontal one. 
uh, if I could say it just a, a, a bit differently, our problems in relationships horizontally is a derivative of a vertical problem, not the other way around. So the thing that we've got to settle first is this vertical dimension of forgiveness so that we can then move on to other things. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, people can go to their graves in a state of impenitence, and when they do, they will forfeit any chance they have of being forgiven. And if I leave this life that way, it won't matter a hill of beans if my wife forgives me or if I forgive her. Now, now gang, please don't hear me say that, that horizontal forgiveness isn't important. It is important. It's the very thing that got me into this whole series nine weeks ago. It, it was a struggle, not with so much a vertical, but a horizontal of forgiveness that got me into this in the first place. But surely you can see that were I to settle the case of horizontal forgiveness, and I have, but were I to settle that and yet enter into eternity never having settled the issue of vertical forgiveness, am I right with God? Has, uh, as, like Job asks, how can a man be righteous before God? If I haven't settled that, if I haven't understood and grasped and laid hold of and enjoyed and, and embraced the forgiveness that I can have from God vertically, it matters very little who else does forgive me or doesn't. It's the difference, gang, between a felt need and a real need. And, and I'm afraid uh, that we get, uh, in, in our culture, <laughs> we are pretty much wrapped up with meeting felt needs. Um, but that is not the primary need. <laughs> and, and you may sit in your chair this morning and longing for some relationship to be restored to the place that it had before the offense. And I will get to that, I promise. I will get to it in spades. But the real need, the primary need, the first question that we've got to face and ask is not, does she forgive me or do I forgive her? The, the first question is, am I in a relationship with God such that sin is forgiven. C can you say yes to that? Because, ladies and gentlemen, um, you've heard the proverbial rearranging the deck furniture on the Titanic. If all I help you with is trying to figure out how you can forgive your spouse, but you remain in a posture of unforgiveness with God, I haven't helped you much. I've done nothing more than rearrange the deck furniture on the Titanic. What, what I long for you to see is that is, is what we must define as the real need and what we must define as the felt need. And then we've got to identify those in priority. What is the real need? It is not to settle things with my wife. We'll get to that. The real, the real need is to settle things with the God who made me. If your conscience 
cannot be quieted by the by the sweet assurance from heaven that all is well with your soul then oh my friend don't waste another minute trying to figure out how to waste how to reconcile with the neighbors don't waste another minute until you can confidently state that there is now peace between you and God. I can say this much to you today, and then I'm going to come back on January the 2nd, and I, and I hope to, I hope to def- discuss it in grand detail, but I can tell you this much. The only relationship that really matters when it comes to vertical for- forgiveness is the relationship that you enjoy or don't enjoy with Jesus Christ. Real quickly, I heard a, a sermon this week on tape. And um, it, it's the story about Elisha and the, and, the, and the little boy dies. Do you remember that? I, uh, I can find it for you if you like. But the little boy dies. He's, he's, the, he's the son of a Shunammite woman. And Elisha comes running in to raise him from the dead. And, and what he does is he stretches himself on the little boy. Palm to palm, lip to lip, eyeball to eyeball, foot arch to foot arch, knee to knee. And, and, and the point this guy made I thought was so wonderful is what you have here is a complete identity. The point I'm making is, ladies and gentlemen, the way that any of us is going to ever know forgiveness from God is when we find ourselves identified. Eyeball to eyeball, lip to lip, shoulder to shoulder, kneecap to kneecap. With Jesus Christ. You know, J.C. Ryle, one of my heroes, said, the only thing that will ever quiet a guilty conscience is the blood of Jesus sprinkled on it. Gang, there was a relationship that was broken. It was broken by my sin. But you know what? That offense is now gone. And my relationship with the Heavenly Father is now restored. And it is restored via and only a relationship with King Jesus. I can say this much to you, my friend. The most prized possession that any Christian ever had is forgiveness. Forgiveness that comes vertically when when God says, oh yeah, now that you are right with my son, all is well with your soul. We must settle that first. Our Father, um, many of us bring into this room a, um, a relationship that has soured and it concerns us greatly and, and brings about a whole great deal of complexity and, and family relationships and Christmas celebrations and we're all dreading heading into times where there is such dysfunction in the family. And Father, we must come to the place 
where we can forgive the offenses perpetrated on us. And yet, Father, we understand that if those relationships were all peachy, it wouldn't change things eternally if we haven't first made peace through Christ with the God who has made us. Oh God, speak peace to the souls of your people. Communicate, Father, that there is no longer any broken relationship. That in fact, you love us. In Christ, you love us. That you will never love us any more than you love us now. That because you see us clothed in his marvelous righteousness, that there is no longer dysfunction in our relationship. There is nothing but peace. Peace that is a, the product of being forgiven. And Lord, as we move to this sacrament, remind us of the event that accomplished for us everlastingly. Forgiveness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.